Hello and welcome. You're listening to Movies We Dig, the podcast about movies, history, archaeology, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. We are two nerdy academics working in the field of classics. I primarily study and teach both Greek and Latin literature and language. And I'm an archaeologist, so I study ancient material. And today, continuing off our sort of early aughts theme, we're going to be talking about the 2004 film Alexander, directed by Oliver Stone, a historical epic drama based on the life of Alexander the Great. So, Eli, we talked a little bit before recording, but do you dig this movie? I do not dig this movie. I would like to bury this movie deep in the ground. Yeah, put put it back put it back underground. <laughs> put it back where we found it. I I have a hard time pinpointing exactly why I do not dig this movie so much, but I think overall this movie is boring. It's boring. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a, this is a good case study of why sort of adherence to historical accuracy does not a good movie make necessarily. Not that this movie is sort of perfectly airtight and it's all the things it portrays, but it's it's sort of held up as one of the more historically accurate films, at least as far as Hollywood tends to go. Definitely a lot of care and concern were directed towards depicting sort of the lives and, and the, the costumes and the set designs and the events of Alexander. Although like obviously like there's sort of narrative and creative decisions but yeah i agree i i would sort of bury this movie there's so many sort of things as i, I had like my book of hot takes that i was writing down and, and really i kind of was just going to start big and we'll we'll get little but the problem like he kind of said and this we kind of touched on this last week when we were talking about troy is that it's just too big there's so alexander i mean alexander's life is this long sort of sprawling epic for lack of a better word there's so many events and characters and places and things that's been even though he had a relatively short life as far as people go he died just before he was 33 something like Mm -hmm. that yep there's a lot to kind of cover and i think this movie kind of makes the the irony i think my sort of thesis on this movie as i walked away is this movie kind of makes the same mistake like the problem with this movie is almost the same problem with Alexander, where it's trying to do everything and go everywhere and be everything. But then we, the audience, much like Alexander's soldiers, after a while, are just kind of like, <laughs> enough, no more, I want to go home. This, there, there's too much to kind of digest. So even just this, the scale of the narrative, like we go through Alexander's entire life, but we, you, we can talk about this, but you watched the theatrical version. I, I did. I fell on the proverbial sword and watched the final no, the ultimate cut, excuse me, because in since it came out in 2004, this movie has had, I think, four, four. different... Yeah, four re- recuts involving taking out footage, putting footage back in. I think the longest one added, like, 40 minutes of new footage. And then at the 10-year anniversary, Oliver Stone kind of said, the ultimate cut, this is kind of more or less where I want it to be. But, but I think, really, no amount of editing can really no. kind of save this movie because the problems are sort of in its bones. But the, 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 the narrative, at least in the ultimate cut, the narrative kind of jumps all over the place. I don't remember if the same, if, if the theatrical cut is more sort of chronological. So there's one major flashback, and it's the assassination of Philip. And that happens far toward the end. But that's yeah. like the only big jump. And I remember thinking earlier in the movie, didn't they actually show the assassination? And then 
later when when it flashed back i was like why is this here why yeah. is this happening now <laughs> that's part of it because like by the time the, the, the same so the, the the ultimate cut actually it sort of it does a lot more jumping back and forth there's kind of parallel lines one of like alexander's sort of eastern campaigns and then the other being his childhood in macedonia and the like the first thing in the ultimate cut actually the well really like the third thing that happens in the movie is the battle of Gaugamela. It like opens with that and then then we flash back to Macedonia. But like also Philip's assassination comes super late in the story, like towards the very end. But also like we've known Philip was assassinated this whole time. The people were yeah. talking about it and mentioning it. And it's it's it, there's, so there's things like that where there's just like there's a lot of almost everything is in this movie and to the point where does it need to be? I think, yeah, when I, I don't know if you think that the jumping back and forth and the parallel lines maybe made it a little bit better than just like this one big flashback, but I almost want to cut out every single part of the childhood. Like that does very little for me in the storytelling part, except that we needed to have Angelina Jolie there. Oh yeah, we, we're, we're going to talk. About, yeah, we're going to talk about that. That's one because I made a sort of list. Speaking of sort of just the scope, this movie's got. I think again, this movie sort of like Alexander himself, big ambitions. Um, yes. Yeah, I would say that the you know all of his childhood things did very little for me, and I would be almost more interested in having more of his campaign, and then maybe more of after his death because to me that's almost the more interesting part is what happens after alexander dies yeah there's <laughs> and not even even as sort of big as with a sort of at least with about three three and a half hour runtime depending on which cut of the movie you watch um it still leaves a lot out and it still relies very heavily and i think this is sort of generally a sign of a, of a movie sort of struggling against its own deficiencies but there's heavy use of narration and voiceover yeah from from anthony hopkins as ptolemy so yeah was that still that framing device yeah also it, in? it kept that initial framing device um and occasionally like you but then don't need multiple framing devices <laughs> like at the end of the movie he kind of talks about all the things like what happens to everyone is like oh they got assassinated and they might have gotten assassinated and they went over here and it's like that seems kind of important but yeah, so one of the notes that I wrote down was so many characters, so little introduction. Because yep. Alexander's surrounded by a huge cast of characters, including his his sort of his generals from, from Macedon, which they kind of rattle off their names. But at the yeah. end of the movie, if you were to like like sort of all right, like match the name to the face, I would be very hard pressed. Yeah, they had no personality. Mm -hmm. um i don't know this big entourage that like followed him around and were supposed to kind of know what happens to them maybe like ptolemy is a name that we know yeah i um, I, I think also this movie i think this movie kind of relies a lot on the audience sort of bringing in some like for for us yes. sort of steeped in sort of years of, of alexander lore for lack of a better word you know, we kind of, when, when somebody's like, oh, Ptolemy, we, we have a sense of like, oh, Ptolemy's going to go become the leader of a big dynasty in Egypt that's last for hundreds of years, going all the way to Cleopatra. But like, for the average moviegoer, they're like, the what, what? Um, yeah, <laughs> what? And, and they're they're right. Like, the generals are largely kind of indistinguishable from one another. And, and, like, and, like, and the movie sort of implies that there's kind of this factionalization happening in his army. But I'm not clear where everyone sort of falls on that. 
so yeah, uh, we're already sort of making the same mistake. And I'm already getting ahead of myself. So I'm just going to go through kind of the theme notes that I wrote down. All right. Yeah, um, hit me. And the first one that I kind of jumped, because this is really, I think, prefaced really in the framing device with sort of old Ptolemy, played by Anthony Hopkins, kind of wandering around his Egyptian villa, reflecting on his life. And that's really kind of like the reflection on history and the problems surrounding sort of Alexander and what we can or can't know about Alexander's life and the various sort of depictions. Because even today, our own, our closest sources to Alexander are either sort of pretty far removed as a couple of different traditions. The actual sort of biography that Ptolemy wrote, who was sort of the closest source to Alexander, that was sort of lost, although elements of that get picked up by later traditions. So yeah, the, like, the idea of like Alexander who sort of like transcends myth, history, that sort of theme. Yeah. Well, I, when we first see Ptolemy walking around and then he walks into that like big scroll room, mm-hmm. um, I had the thought like, is this supposed to be the library of Alexandria? Like, is this supposed to like be yeah. something that I'm picking you see up on? The lighthouse. Uh, yep. At one point in the movie, Alexander's like, like, at, like libraries. I want libraries in all my Alexandrias. And I, I, I forget the exact, exact timeline, although I'm not sure. I, don't, I forget exactly when the library and the lighthouse would have been built relative to Ptolemy, although I think they're a little bit after him. I think it's his successors yeah. that do more with them. Also, my other, like, little, a little fun fact I noticed, there's kind of weird attention. There's, like, some very close attention to detail where, like, they have constantly, like, Greek script and cuneiform, which is a lot of Near Eastern languages write in. But then the map room in Ptolemy uh, is it's written Latin. Latin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I assume, like... Because they wanted to give it like a sort of seem vague and ancient, but also have letters that we could read yes. or that the audience could read. You know, so you could look and it says like Egypt and Babylon and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I just it seemed like generic old timey map, old ancient thing, which I don't know brings maybe this is slightly off topic, but was in the ultimate cut. Is there a quote from Virgil? Yes, at there the is. Very beginning opens with a quote from Why? Virgil. Yeah. Why? Which he says at one point, I don't know, because it's again like it's in the is in the wheelhouse. And Virgil was was not really talking about Alexander. Not no, when he, that line. So that seems like an odd choice. Yeah, but yeah, Alexander, like the movie seems to be really interested in Alexander as this guy who like can we ever really like know who or what he was? But are we supposed to like Alexander? Like, are we supposed to be? like are we supposed to be on his side or is it tragic yeah that's i don't know (laughs) so i guess maybe we can just go right there let's talk about alexander himself played by colin farrell and though my natural inclination with fellow collins is to to be on his side but i really (laughs) sort of uh, this this performance i think my main my main issue is he is kind of unlikable and like we're supposed to like him but the Mm -hmm. movie like, I think the movie dwells a lot on his sort of, like, vices. And then he's, I mean, he's simultaneously supposed to be this very charismatic and inspiring leader. And we sort of get some of that, like, when he sort of is leading the army and giving the speeches. But I think part of it, there's, just, there's a sort of, between the triangulation of the, the script and the acting and the directing, I just don't, like, when the movie wants me to be inspired, I don't feel inspired. Yes. Um, and same with when the movie wants me to be sad or feel sad, I don't feel sad yeah part and in a way that almost makes you like the way it's sort of portrayed it's like why are people following this guy yes Uh, and because i think all of the like the cool things that alexander has is supposed to have done 
we don't get to see a whole lot of that. Like we hear mm-hmm. some of it, but like some of the wilder battles, I mean, we focus so much on like this, the one big one at Gagamela, but a lot of the other ones where it's like more crafty or interesting, or mm-hmm. we sort of have this background of why his entourage is so into following him. It's like when mm-hmm. he makes, is it tire that's like it was an yeah. island built a freaking bridge yeah. so you could conquer it and it is that's, now a peninsula yeah it's like exactly you you walk to this once island now because of him yeah um, so there are so many i think tidbits and cool things that maybe like again scope like we just can't fit all of this in but it's just being told that he's very divine and everybody follows him and he does good things. It doesn't, it doesn't work visually. The whole time we're seeing him, part of it is also, because I think just Colin, Colin Farrell's performance is dialed good. to 11 at all times. Like, yes. I think pretty much in every scene, he's screaming, like <laughs> tears running down his face, yelling, attacking people, having like a tantrum or a breakdown. Yep. Like all the time, like this guy, he, he's feeling every feeling simultaneously at a thousand percent to a point where almost like you, after like the fourth or fifth scene like that, you're just kind of like, is this just the way this guy always is? Because like, that's, you know, <laughs> and then like, and there's no sense of like, like it feels like a movie like this should have like maybe one or maybe two scenes like that where Alexander like yeah. really is sort of pushed to the break and kind of has like sort of almost like a breakdown or, or kind of freaks out. And I think the, the sort of the, the obvious sort of choice is when he he kills his general Clytus, um, yeah. who's and, and the, which is in the movie and actually pretty much goes down in the movie as is described, where Clytus kind of gets really kind of upset that he's being sort of what he sees as being sequestered off to kind of like a backwater province. And Clytus is one of the sort of old guard who is part of with Alexander's dad. And then they sort of argue and then Clytus leaves and comes back and Alexander like throws a spear at him or something. Which that seems like sort of like a good sort of fulcrum climax breaking point for Alexander's emotional arc. Definitely. But in this movie, it's sort of all the other scenes with Alexander, he's behaving just like that. So that this isn't any different or any, any, no more, no less than any other time. It seems like he's always been screaming yeah. and crying and getting in people's faces. <laughs> and so I was thinking on the, on the topic of scope, I was thinking of sort of two comparative examples of historical movies kind of different but i think sort of are good comparisons one is is lincoln yeah the, with daniel day lewis 2012 directed by by steven yeah steven spielberg and the other is i don't know if you've ever seen the film mongol yeah i have it's, actually yeah it's a also a long uh, movie yeah d- directed by uh sergey <laughs> bodrov and the reason i bring these two up because i think they kind of avoid the mistake that Alexander makes and that Lincoln is not the whole life story of Abraham Lincoln. It's really about, we're kind of jumping into one particular point of his life and his career. uh, Mm -hmm. And it's really sort of all about the 13th Amendment and sort of, it's very sort of tight in scope in the same way that we were talking last week about how the Iliad is kind of really tight in scope against the backdrop of this bigger epic. Lincoln sort of gets that it has a sort of we're already in the civil war we don't have to be shown how the civil war starts or how lincoln grew up or you know we can have sort of flashbacks and references to those but the movie has a singular kind of narrative and mongol does something kind of similar where it is sort of about the life of genghis khan and it is also a very long sort of historical epic and 
in a lot of ways, Genghis Khan now is in greater, very sort of like they're very similar in yeah. some ways, both in just the sort of broad scope of that. For sure. Kind of, you know, impressive conquerors, but sort of world changing lives. But again, Mongol, the movie doesn't cover the whole career of Genghis Khan. It's really his sort of his upbringing and then up until the point where he basically like rise to power right yeah it's like it ends basically with his sort of last victory unifying mongolia and then the rest of his worldwide conquests are later and maybe even saved for a later movie and i think like how you know in in the sense like if i were to do an alexander the great movie i would almost want to do something more like that like really just sort of pick a sort of singular not campaign but like sort of tight window of Alexander's yeah. life and maybe towards the end of his life or even like you said maybe sort of after and really just kind of dwell on that and then there can be references but we're not trying to get the whole scope yeah well I think like the assassination of Philip would have been a maybe really interesting place to start because we don't get the sort of like weird thematic I guess backstory to his baggage from his parents that I guess we're supposed to be that's getting. the next theme on my list oh good <laughs> but like when Alexander becomes king Macedonia is in a very interesting place it's sort of trying to be a big player sort of trying to go against places like Athens and even Thessaly is sort of like a bigger more international player in politics and they had these designs on going east, like previously, and Alexander sort of stepping into this role could be a really interesting beginning to a story. And that's sort of this success, 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 and then this kind of crash and burn <laughs> that he had at the end, yeah. uh, which I think this was going for that. I feel like it was supposed to be upset that yeah. Alexander dies. Like, I mean, I was very much on... I think I said, like, I was very much on the side of the soldiers, partially because I think I wanted the movie to end in a way that they wanted the campaign to end. Yes. Because I was just like, God, just just give it up. <laughs> like, why? Uh, and yeah. I guess that's the part. is like, we're, we're not, maybe it's just we're just sort of not made to sort of understand Alexander. Like, why does Alex, why is Andrew, Alexander kind of like this? And the movie, I think, has some ideas in that regard. But Alexander seems like he's being very, very unreasonable. Yes. Um, which maybe in real life he might have been. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the next sort of topic or question, the other sort of main theme that this movie I think is very interested in, and again, like all, all these themes I think are a movie in and of themselves, but yeah, the one main theme or another main theme this movie really dwells on are basically at um, Alexander, his Oedipus complex, and his death. Yep. Um, and those intersecting <laughs> lines because they lean really really hard into a particular interpretation of philip and, and olympias mm -hmm. uh his mother i mean it, it, it's very 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 explicit about the nature of his oedipus complex yes and it's i don't know see that part i don't find interesting at all like mm -hmm. if we're talking about the reasons why alexander is um, like an enigmatic figure and we like want to make this movie about his life it's like that is so far down the list of things that are interesting about Alexander really? so I guess uh, I just I don't know it doesn't interest me at all <laughs> the Olympias as 
I don't know. I have to admit, I don't know a whole lot about her historically. I'm not sure how much we do. So Dan Carlin on Hardcore History has a really fun Olympias episode, like just about her, mm-hmm. which is very fun. It's three hours long, but yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's really cool because she's not, she wasn't Philip's only wife. Yeah, um, she was like his third or fourth, something like yeah, that. Yeah, he had many wives and... Mm-hmm. Alexander had siblings that are never talked about. And I guess if we're trying to like have an interesting female character, she certainly has potential to be an interesting female character in the ancient world. But just the way that this was treated was so strange and unnecessary for me. Um, I did read that Angelina Jolie refused to wear her historically accurate costume because it wasn't yes. enough. Yeah, because it covered like her whole like hair and, and body yeah. just about. Which like, I guess but, fine, but just the whole idea that she has to be sexy to be interesting and powerful. Yeah. So, Although sort of minor note, Colin Farrell, I think, is one year older than her in real life. Yeah. Which is um, so dumb. <laughs> yeah. And so this is a sort of trope. Where I think we, we talked a lot about sort of Hollywood tropes with the Troy episode. And this is another one. I think this is older than Hollywood. This trope goes way back. But the trope of sort of any time a sort of a woman is getting involved in like politics or like playing the political game, she is very, very quickly and very easily cast into this like sort of seductress, backstabbing poisoner. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Cersei Lannister is almost like a yes. sort of of that trope. Absolutely. Granted, I think a bit more flesh behind it. And also Cersei Lannister isn't the only female political player right. in the Game yeah. of Thrones world. Whereas in this movie, it's just Olympias. And she kind of falls into the tradition of like Livia, Augustus's wife, who has that same trope of kind of the poison conniving. Which I, th- I think this is like, to, to, to risk a sort of trademark, this is kind of a trope against women Oh, issue. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and like she's got to be like, I think one review described her, she's sort of willingly let snakes slither all over her. Which for like, really? Like, uh, like doing it to be weird. (laughs) Yeah, and also her, we can just get get this sort of issue up front, but the accent decisions uh, in this movie. Because Angelina Jolie's is doing, she's doing something Something. completely different than everyone else. And then Colin Farrell just sort of speaks with more or less his regular Irish accent which isn't so much of a problem. And then they cast the whole cast around that. So they or... would all have similar, mm-hmm. like, Irishy Macedonian yeah. accents? Yeah, and th- that's sort of, the re- because that intersects, like, there is, I think, maybe something there, because, like you said, Macedon is in a really interesting place at this time, because they're sort of, they're Greek, but they're kind of not Greek. They're, they're different. They, they sort of, they speak Greek, and they, have, like, nominally have a lot of the same sort of cultural institutions but they're also kind of very different in a lot of ways and like the, the sort of sort of heartland greeks if you want to call them that like athens and sparta and thebes and those guys sort of put them aside for yeah a little bit. so they're kind I think of they're like, not like, like allowed at some of the olympic games at some point they have to mm-hmm. like argue their way in yeah they they're not like want to be yeah they're not they're not like like canonically considered part of the sort of core greek world yeah uh, in a way that they seem to want to be and so I think there, there might be something to it with, with you know, having, having the Macedonians have like a sort of, sort of rogue or like an Irish accent as kind yeah. of like a sort of marginalization. Whereas, but that would only work if, say, we were to meet, I guess we kind of do because we get Christopher Plummer's 
Aristotle, but you know, yeah. would have like a, like an, an Athenian might have like a very posh British accent, but that's not really. Yeah, it's because it's not about that. Like they're they don't really play that up enough, mm -hmm. I guess. And and I'm not saying that they should because no, I mean it. It was you know whenever you have people speaking English as ancient characters, it's going to be strange. Mm -hmm. And like they're not. And there's a going default to, to kind of want to make them yeah. more British. Yeah, which like is fine, I guess. It's not the best answer. Mm -hmm. But even like Olympias was from Epirus, which is yeah. right next to Macedon. Yeah, so like, I think the, this movie makes it seem different. like she's from like, like, <laughs> I don't know, like Xanadu or something or something like. Yeah, they called her like the barbarian or something. Yeah. It's like she's just like, like another Greek. Yeah, um, <laughs> she's from down the road. <laughs> yeah, and again, like sort of a sort of smaller political player, but Epirus is like very much in Greece. For sure. Um, so yeah, and then so across from Angelina Jolie with this kind of the sort of Oedipal complex that that mm -hmm. sort of drives Alexander, we have two two there's kind of these two other characters. One is Val Kilmer as which I I, I sort of I, I, I agree for a very I think tragic misuse of Val Kilmer. I agree. Um, who can be very good in historical action films. I mean knock knock tombstone fantastic performance and here it just seems like an odd he apparently gained a lot of weight for this role yeah but i feel like he almost wasn't in the movie like he didn't he had a few maybe monologues about power and divinity and mm -hmm. i don't know he takes alexander down to that cave to kind of lay out all the themes that, that's basically what that scene yeah. is like here are all the themes like you know here's parents here's killing Edith. children yep, children here's, killing parents here's medea <laughs> who's like your mom and here is Oedipus and this is like you and your mom and he's like really on the nose with that kind of with the mess yeah but and even in a way, that scene went on far too long yeah it felt like a lot of the times this movie sort of feels like a lecture uh, yes between Ptolemy and, and and yeah and Philip's character is just we're seeing Philip kind of at the end of his life and we're sort of told that he's this very successful general with just won a whole lot of victories and is you know, preparing for his big Eastern campaign, but all we really see is that he's like an angry, abusive drunk. And Alexander had this very, very traumatic childhood and has this very complicated, strained relationship with his parents. And his and his dad might have been trying to replace him at some point. And I just, I guess, I don't know. I also could have just had Philip die at the beginning again. <laughs> if we start <laughs> off with his assassination, I think it would have done uh, about the same thing. <laughs> I, I want to like come back. I want to like put a pin and come back to like if we were to do an Alexander movie, what we would do differently sort yes. of at the very end. Okay. Uh, but the other character that sort of Angelina Jolie kind of feeds into is Rosario Dawson's Roshana, who I, in this movie I, is, I think, very underserved in a lot of ways and exists basically to just be like a realization of Alexander's. I, I don't know if the movie, I, I think the movie basically comes out and says it, but the reason he married her is because she reminds him of his mom. Pretty much. That seems to be because there's a bit where she's wearing, I don't know if this is in the theatrical cut, but in the ultimate cut, she's wearing this like snake bracelet. Yep. And just maybe the fact that she kind of maybe vaguely resembles. Uh, yeah, I don't and, know. But, but then once she's brought in, then again, the movie makes a big deal out of like, why did he marry this woman? You know, she's not of sort of any political significance. So she might have kind of been. And then it's like, maybe he loved her. And then I feel like we see no evidence to that. Nope. Um, because they have a very strange... Yeah, and I think, I don't know, Philip had multiple wives from a lot of the different areas that 
Macedon was like invading or allied with. Mm-hmm. And what I've always heard about Alexander's multiple wives, because he also had others, mm-hmm. is that they were supposed to sort of be that similar thing. Like I think he marries one or two of Darius's daughters, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and then Roxana, Roxana, whatever her name actually was, was Bactrian, perhaps mm-hmm. a Bactrian princess, perhaps partially part of that sort of, hey, I'm in your territory and I'm, I have one wife from all of my territories mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I just, I don't know, her place in this movie does almost nothing and mm-hmm. it's sad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's again, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of piling on of things and events and themes that you could sort of tease out of Alexander's life, but to sort of what end? Yeah, like, like again, what, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, very strange. But also sort of time from Russian leads to my next point, which is sort of Alexander's sexuality, for lack of a better word. His kind of, yeah. Because again, sort of another, he was a, I mean, at least if you understand it, he was sort of a, a man of sort of lots of different sort of passions. He was very prone to big drinking and partying and all sorts of excess, but also one of these sort of being sexual. I sort of, on one hand, want to commend the movie for unlike Troy, which came out the same year for sort of not shying away from having a, a sort of bisexual. Sexual. Lack of a, yeah, for, yeah. I mean, imposing those kinds of terms are, is uh, right. anachronistic. Yeah. yeah. But, but at least like having like two men kiss on screen. Yeah, but I want to say like they sort of create this whole relationship with Hephaestion that never amounts to anything. Like they never kiss. Like they're yes. never... Like together, and he like drunkenly kisses like the one dude who's like in yeah, the harem or something. Bag- Bagalus, that's his name. Uh, um, it's like all of the, all of think, the actual love scenes are rape scenes in yes. this movie, mm-hmm. and it's like there's never a good representation of. Yeah, no, it's this, this movie's. It's this movie. I think is kind of uncomfortable with yes, homosexuality for um, sure. In a way that I think sort of is is indicative of the times and, and the direction. But it, I think the, the ultimate cut has a little bit more. I think he does actually kiss Jared Leto's Hephaestion at one point. Okay. Well, um, good. They might have taken it out of the actual cut because of <laughs> reasons. But well, yeah, I will no, it's- say, like, when I first saw this movie in theaters as a tiny little baby child, mm-hmm. I didn't get it. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, they're really good friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and watching it again, I was like, kiss 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 please yeah. kiss for the love of god yeah um so i i don't know yeah th- this movie has another there's some other like kind of weird tropes that work in but it has an, like also like troy another sort of like the sex scene that starts with like a violence like knife to the throat yep. that turns into a sex scene which is just an odd i mean maybe it's just because of now in, in 2020 looking back they're like this was an odd choice and also I'm not sure how much of this would be theatrical cut, but Colin Farrell is making like animal noises. He's like growling at her in a very just. This doesn't feel like if this is supposed to be love. This doesn't feel like love. <laughs> it's, it feels it very completely unloving. yeah unnecessary. Just sort of I don't know fetishizing yeah. this sort of relationship mm-hmm. and in a very uncomfortable way. Yeah. So. Again, yeah, I'm, I wonder if this, in, in, if we were to remake this movie now. Well, I think like there's just a general like like a one improvement that I could easily see is just to 
deal with it with like a little more like gentleness or like sensitivity just just like like have like a moment of like gentle affection between any yeah. characters any um, characters literally yeah. any <laughs> yeah because nobody everybody is is dominating somebody else in violent ways and yeah. all, power power plays and head games constantly all right i don't want to jump too quickly from topic to topic okay you can you can jump i'm okay i'm like um done with that <laughs> okay cool so another sort of theme that you can sort of tease out of alexander's life and, and this movie is this kind of i'm gonna say greeks versus asian which in the yes. movie kind of spins out into east versus west um mm -hmm. which we can talk about is kind of anachronistic for a lot of reasons definitely um, but yeah this kind of this notion this was a sort of this was a, a sort of actual conflict between sort of as alexander pushes further and further east and sort of ingratiates himself and primarily among the persians but also other cultures that sort of he conquered like the egyptians or the bactrians and getting into the indians he sort of increasingly begins to incorporate sort of local customs like he famously starts dressing and growing his hair out sort of like the persians and this sort of rubbed a lot of the sort of macedonians who have and other greeks who have sort of have decades and centuries worth of warfare and other sort of conflicts with with the persians as alexander sort of for lack of a better word going native yeah but i think that's also even a anachronistic and colonialistic i guess way of looking at it because mm -hmm. this so this movie came out right after like the iraq war yeah right in the minute right in the middle of it right oh. right then and so you sort of think about i don't know this you know, conquering army of people who are depicted as like blonde and British walking into Babylon. Mm -hmm. It just, it definitely kept pulling out these sort of old school racist stereotypes, I sort of felt. Mm -hmm. It's like even the beginning, Aristotle is like the Persians are inferior. And yeah. even if a lot of I will say Athenian Greeks mm -hmm. certainly thought that people who were not speaking Greek were inferior. And uh, men, that included, yeah, that has sort of included the Macedonians in so mm -hmm. many ways. And so, uh, yeah, I don't the, know. It just it feels like it's reinforcing like an, that. Yeah, the notion way. of like an East versus West is, is very much a product of sort of enlightenment and, and post sort of age of discovery, like the sort of christianized europe versus a islamic sort of north africa and, and middle yeah. east in a way that like an ancient greek probably would have would have they would have not have identified themselves as like the west quote unquote and like you know somebody like like an iberian or an italian would have been just as barbarian as a persian by virtue of all the reasons you know, absolutely not, didn't speak greek not a citizen you know not partaking in the right sort of customs yeah, and that, but they definitely like Athenian sort of rhetoric in particular is, is steeped very heavily in sort of tropes about what Persians in particular, but other Asians sort of by extension are or are not like and their various vices, at least as sort of classical Greeks constructed them. And yeah, and like you're right, this kind of perpetuates some of that, like the harem scene. Yeah. Um, there's a, yeah, there's an emphasis on like indulgence and like sort of beauty and a sort of corrupting desire that's what aristotle's kind of going on and on about in that, yeah. that odd lecture scene which is like certainly things that the athenians said about people that they didn't like mm -hmm. but whether or not those things were entirely true yeah and then the romans would say totally about the different. greeks 
Oh, um, heck yeah. The it, Romans it, would say about anybody else. And, and then we would say about the Romans. I'm th- I keep thinking to that Parks and Rec <laughs> moment where they're trying, where she's trying to get the painting, like the Christian Mom Association hate that painting of, of Leslie. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and, and then, so Leslie Nope kind of begins a speech about like, there was like, and the Romans, and then the woman, she's like, she goes, the Romans, perverts, and the Greeks, gay perverts. <laughs> yeah. Which is, there's a sort of, there's a very ironic, like, the kicking of the can down the line. Because, yeah, of all the things that the Greeks accused the Persians of, or the Romans accused the Greeks of, and then we accused the Romans and the Greeks of. But, yeah. But there is, and, like, one of the things, again, this is, like, a thing that's sort of, like, maybe a hint, hint, nudge, nudge for people who have taken a sort of Greek history course or an Alexander the Great course in college, but they dwell, but like the movie doesn't really explain it is, is Alexander. And one of the big arguments when he's taking on sort of Persian customs is the, the, the habit of proskinesis because Alexander sort of famously, whereas Macedonian kings did historically sort of get deified after they died and that would be pretty normal afterwards. Alexander sort of walked around and acted like a living God very famously. Mm-hmm. He actually emulated Achilles in a lot of ways that we can come back to. And, but one of the, the sort of customs in Persia was called proskinesis, which is basically just like bowing at the feet of the king. In Greek, the word literally means to sort of like be like a dog in front of someone. And for the Greeks, this was a very like, proskinesis was a big no-no. And they kind of took issue with Alexander, like not stopping his sort of Persian subjects from, from for bowing to Alexander's feet. And then the Greeks are kind of like, are you just setting yourself up as the next great king? Which, I mean, I have sort of, like, two varying opinions on, I guess. It's that, like, I kind of get the Greeks being worried about Alexander acting not Greek. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's a, that could be, you know, troublesome. But also, just having relationships with people whose culture is different than yours is really helpful when you Mm -hmm. want those people to pay you taxes or fight in your armies or... Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things and I don't know something that the movie kept harping on was like that he was Alexander was freeing people from tyranny yeah but deeply then ironic oh <laughs> but I then, mean, it's, yeah. also, it's deeply ironic that the Greeks themselves like champion the idea of freedom I sense sure. a little bit of like in that first speech at the Galgamela battle I sense a little bit of the hand of Braveheart in this movie oh, um, yeah. of him just riding up and down the line of men shouting freedom Whereas in Braveheart kind of makes contextual sense because we get this whole setup of, of the Scots being sort of oppressed by the English. And so it makes sense in Braveheart when everyone's screaming freedom. But in the context of, of this movie, not only is one, this battle, like the third thing we see. So we don't really, and even if there was a sort of history of oppression, we never see that. Maybe nope. we're told after the fact. But then it's like, no, Alexander just like marched his army into their land. So like, this seems kind of ironic to be like, we're here as champions of freedom. It's like yeah. a bender joke. Like, you're, you're going to accept our peaceful ways by force. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's, you, of course you want to have the sort of, like, we have a reason for doing this. But Alexander did not have a reason mm-hmm. for doing anything except conquering and killing mm-hmm. and being in, you know, glory and power. And Maybe his daddy issues. Maybe his daddy issues, I guess. I don't know. This movie but it's seems a, like, to think so. It's a very American version of Alexander as like the foreign invader is actually the liberator. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Again, the Iraq war. Again, um, the Iraq war. So I just, I, I don't know. I really couldn't get past that 
scope in this movie as the sort of why do I like Alexander? Why am I on board? Why mm-hmm. is he the protagonist? Because uh, and, America. <laughs> yeah, and and this movie kind of comes down very hard, uh, or like like decide. There's there's sort of aspects of Alexander's life that are sort of up to speculation. For example, his relationship with Olympias and, and his mother, and who might have assassinated who. And this movie tends to be, it makes decisions in those, but it doesn't kind of. I think it tries to be ambiguous about. Alexander, like whether Alexander was actually adopting sort of Eastern customs right. and um, behaving like a living god and things like that, yeah. whether that's sort of like a calculated sort of political move to sort of ingratiate and, and smooth and, and facilitate his sort of this integration of Greek and, and Persian and Egyptian and other cultures, or whether it's all just going into his head and he's just like, I am the son of Zeus. <laughs> and this movie kind of it, it sort of says both, I think. It doesn't really, mm-hmm. it doesn't give, it simultaneously like doesn't give a lot of ambiguity for us to kind of like feel conflicted about Alexander, but then also just kind of, I don't know. I just, it, it makes, yeah. I think like there's better, there's like, I'm trying to think of like another example from the movie where like you have like sort of a bad, like I'm kind of thinking about like Wolf of Wall Street where you have like a, a sort mm-hmm. of objectively kind of crappy person, but then right. you sort of understand why he doing it and then you're sort of supposed to feel bad maybe the jordan belford analogy is like not quite airtight but yeah (laughs) like it's it's with alexander like the the the, it's sort of ambiguous but in a non-thought-provoking way yeah it's like it would have been more interesting if they had made like some sort of claim Mm -hmm. um and like went down the it's all going to his head uh storyline sort of it's he thinks he really thinks he's a god he's acting this way he has this enormous ego and it's really destroying his ability to govern or if that's what we could even call what he did yeah he didn't do a lot of like <laughs> rulership like governance was was not his yeah main it's not his not his thing so yeah the whole idea of like why are we still going why are we keep doing this horrible thing it would have been maybe more tragic if it's like him slowly losing his mind mm-hmm. like that's that's a compelling interesting story yeah and sort of gives more weight to his entourage like pulling the plug and being mm-hmm. like we can't do this anymore you are messed up we're gonna assassinate yeah. you yeah <laughs> because i think like i think that's kind of to come back to sort of the philip assassination scene that comes in so late into the movie um, so late because it seems like he's kind of pretty much acting in that sort of like over the top 1000% like grabbing his grabbing Angel- Angelina Jolie and being I hate you I love you I like yep. uh like uh like I hate my father I love my father that seems to be exactly the same person as we see at the very end of the movie which for me kind of undercuts the whole thing because it you know if it were more like like you say if it were if it were an arc if we get like sort of an early maybe like yeah. wide-eyed or ambitious or enthusiastic exam- Alexander, but it, who's in some way kind of not only like pure, but like like a, a sort of blanker slate, and then he's shaped yeah. by these experiences of you know the conquest and the and the conspiracies and and the meeting and, and going to all these you know meeting all these people and going to all these crazy places, which again we see very little of in the movie. We see Babylon and parts of India, yeah. Whereas and I Alexander guess Bactria, yeah, and and also yeah parts of Bactria. Whereas Alexander, you know, he went all the way down sort of the Levant, like the sort of East Coast and the Mediterranean into Egypt and up into Persia and into Babylon, all the way into like Uzbekistan. 
down into what's now modern day Pakistan. Yeah, it, there's this sort of there's a lack. There seems to be a lack of character growth, and then yes, at, yeah, Alexander is like I said, sort of constantly at one thousand percent. Like he seems <laughs> sort of already broken from the beginning. Yes, yeah, it's like he doesn't have anywhere to go because he's already there. <laughs> he's already there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And there's like moment, there's like moments of like hints of that, like in in the battle, right before the battle, when he's kind of calling out all the soldiers and they're kind of joking, and, and he's like, oh, like I don't even remember any of their names, but he knew their names, yeah. Which supposedly <laughs> in history he did, and he could he could like reference some story about them. And then at the end, there's sort of I don't know if this was in the theatrical cut, but in the ultimate cut, there's a scene where he goes to basically the the, the tent or the the doctor's tent, and all the wounded and dying are there, and he kind of like he's there when they sort of put one guy out of his misery mm-hmm. and it's sort of a you know like you kind of get that he like cares for his men and his men care for him relationship and then but then that's just kind of gone because then we just get full it's into totally like his, gone. the debauchery and the the excess and the the paranoia yeah it gives like yeah it gives all the weight to the paranoia and the, the sort <laughs> of mania and like none of the weight to the like non-paranoid yeah aspects of his character when that scene brings me also to my next point which is the battle scenes sort of generally it's it's like i think i like that you said it was like a lecture it's like somebody in a history class is telling you about the battle of gogamela they even have like this is the center macedonian flank and this is the left flank and it's like that did not help Mm -hmm. that was not i was i was wondering like couple because like battle scenes in movies are kind of i think famously really hard to do and granted this is coming off the heel hot off the heels of lord of the rings which i think had some of the most impressive battle scenes just because it's hard to get a sense of like where everyone is what the army is doing in relationship to each other i think there's a general sort of trick that you try to keep one army on sort of one side of the camera and another army on the other side of the camera so and this totally broke that yeah so you get senses of like direction of like when somebody's marching one way you kind of know they belong to one side versus the other and it's it's hard because like on the flip side, like you said, it is like a lecture because this is like pretty much how the battle went down. But again, we kind of have the cheat book, which is sort of uh, graduate degrees in this, which the modern like I I really would want to do a litmus test with like the average moviegoer and be like make them watch the the Galgamela scene and be like at the end, okay, could you explain to me how and why Alexander won that battle? <laughs> and I feel like the answer is no because you're oh, like oh it's no it's totally no. <laughs> Because it's just a sense of like, like you kind of get the idea for the strategy. And it is like really interesting, like to have our nerd out moment. Like Alexander's basic strategy was he had these walls of, of we call phalanxes, these guys with these really long spears. And they could basically, like when they were all like in formation, marching forward, they could pretty much steamroll everyone in front of them. Like they created this sort of impenetrable wall of dudes with spears. Yep. And then he could like pin an army on his infantry and then he could take his his super elite cavalry and he would kind of swing around and the end the, the analogy is always like hammer and but i don't i mean this movie kind of does that but i don't think you quite understand like you don't because so they like have the wall of macedonian phalanxes and it's cool to see like the sarissas the super long spears like sort of out all the way down um which we're supposed to be able to steamroll cavalry too mm-hmm which is really cool. But then I swear that the sides of the battle switch the sides of the TV screen so many times. Yeah. And you can kind of track that the Macedonians are the ones in squares, mm-hmm. like because they're in their phalanxes, but then you don't know where Alexander's going. 
Mm -hmm. or why he's going so far away Mm -hmm. or and it's definitely not clear from the points that they give you of like this is the center and this is the left Mm -hmm. and this is the right it's like well what why (laughs) and i have a sort of i have a sort of theory that there's kind of two schools of filming warfare and battles that are sort of at war with each other because oliver stone sort of famously is a vietnam vet and got his critical acclaim directing Vietnam movies, Platoon and Born right. on the Fourth of July, which yep. in those movies and a lot of sort of Vietnam literature, for lack of a better word in general, really kind of dwell on like the craziness and the gore and the violence and the sort of insanity and the trauma of the battle. That's a very much, I mean, other wars and war sort of media do this too, but I think in Vietnam media, it's like particularly resonant. And I think there's very much like that, that sort of platoon influence in this movie where we get a lot of scenes of like, very very violent things happening to people people dying and like crazy but like at one point there's a guy who gets like stepped on by an elephant and you like see the whole like the 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 horses and the elephants too are getting like just chopped up and the people Mm -hmm. and and it's all like just it's very much it feels like a scene from born on the fourth of july or something like that where it's just the kind of it's dwelling on sort of the madness of this whole exercise but then the conflicting signs like we also kind of want to give like a sort of more Lord of the Rings style, clear picture of like what's happening in this battle and like who's where and like how the arm, like how this is working. And yeah, and those kind of are sort of at odds with one another. Um, And I think they do the sort of Vietnam element, I think, is accurate too. Because like in in a battle like this, it would have really been, because kind of an ancient battle would have really kind of, most of them as I understand them kind of devolved to basically like a pushing match where you just get, all these dudes just sort of crammed up against each other, kind of pushing and pushing and, and sort of poking at each other until one side breaks or something like that, a decisive action, which would have been a very sort of claustrophobic, traumatic Absolutely. kind of kind of experience. Yeah. But then the the sort of the flip side to that, I'm not and not these two are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but the flip side to that is we have no idea what the hell is going on in this battle. No, and I think. I don't know, there might be that sort of third, almost academic thing that we're trying to say, we know that this was a real battle and we have some information about it Mm -hmm. and we're trying to do it right, Mm -hmm. I guess, but very much at the cost of making it interesting. I feel like it went on for a very long time. Yes. I like wasn't worried about any Mm -hmm. of the characters. (laughs) No, I think this was... Uh, I, I think yeah. this becomes a bigger issue in so the, the there's kind of two battles that kind of at least in the ultimate cut like bookend the film there's Galgamela mm-hmm. his big victory over the Persians and then Hadaspes which is his big victory sort of mm-hmm. over Ish. yeah it was a little bit of a, <laughs> of a pure victory he won but at great cost over over King Porus and who's like an Indian king and in that first of all like minor sort of ha 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 well actually moment. Because they, so that, that battle, the, it's, and it's now the Jhelum River, but it's in Pakistan, more modern Pakistan today. And they filmed this in Thailand. I Which, think it was so they could have access to elephants or yeah. trained elephants. Mm-hmm. And so there's, they're in this sort of lush, like jungle almost. When in real life, they're kind of in a more temperate yeah, region. For sure. Also, I, it bothered me that that battle took place in a forest. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think you would do that. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah, there, there, I mean, that, that has the more, like, I have no idea 
what is going on in that battle. Who's Not where? It seems like the Greeks are really losing, but then they kind of win. But they, even that's not terribly clear. But yeah, I have, I have no idea where Alexander is in relationship to the rest of his forces and like mm-mm. what's going on. You get that, granted, admittedly, a really cool shot or hit the horse is rearing and the elephant is rearing that you can like yeah. put on. Like that's a money shot. But I just like have no sense of what is going on in that battle. And I guess maybe like neither did the Macedonians. I guess. <laughs> and also this is after three something hours of this movie. Yeah. And I guess we're kind of to come back around to it. There's no sense of narrative arc or progression. It doesn't feel like we're like leading up to this because everything's kind of put in various places. Like you could almost chop up all the individual scenes and rearrange them in any number of orders. And it would have kind of the same effect on the movie because there's kind of, there's no sense of growth. That's really our, that's our like thesis. There's no, there's no growth. It doesn't feel like this is the battle we've been leading up to this whole time. No, Um, not at all. Neither does Gaugamela. Um, no. <laughs> so it's like these, these hugely massive battles just become like drudgery because it's like now I gotta just like sit for another 40 minutes and watch like people's arms get hacked off yep. uh, in a very dull way. <laughs> it's like how how did we make this so boring? How is this? I think there's uh, Daniel Mendelssohn has a review of this movie where he basically says like the, the life of Alexander was was neither funny nor dull yet people watching this movie were like like sort of snickering and bored out of their minds. <laughs> it's not wrong. Yeah. I have one last thing, but it's really, it's a, it's a softball pitch to you. Okay. The, just the like costumes, set design, aesthetics of this movie. So I think there are some really interesting things and the, there are things that I appreciate. So the, sort of Philip's star that is sort of on a lot of different motifs in um, tombs in Macedonia. We see it on a lot of shields. That really shows up a whole lot, which is kind of fun. Um, Alexander like has it embroidered in a couple different places. You see it on shields. Um, a lot of the motifs in their like gold crowns that they wear at some point, that does come out of Macedonian tombs, which is pretty cool. The armor at the Battle of Gaugamela is really neat, and it looks really good. Like I, I like the cerises and the phalanx. That was pretty cool. But it just all sort of lays really flat because I guess it doesn't, I don't know. There was no, there wasn't the same atmospheric feeling that you get from like Troy mm-hmm. for some reason. I, uh, I can't really put my finger on it. I did, I, the walls of Babylon, the gates, those were cool. Yeah, yeah. Very those neat. Are, yeah, those look basically exactly like they, full, right. Like like the the coat of paint is fresher, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you can see those gates um, mm-hmm. in the new museum in Berlin because they've been looted. Yeah, colonialism. <laughs> Thanks, colonialism. But like that was cool. That was interesting. But it just all of these little points laid very very flat. Yeah. Because I wasn't on board like i wasn't interested in what alexander was doing <laughs> it's like so, i don't i don't care <laughs> unlike so unlike troy where we talked about we couldn't really find a singular for lack of a better word like historical consultant or textual consultant or whatever it may be for this one they did have a uh, robin lane fox who's this sort of very kind of what's the word like a like classic lowercase c 
yeah. sort of Oxford professor. You know, he's For written sure. a biography on Alexander and, and a bunch of other things. And apparently, he he wasn't he's not credited in the film, but he, in exchange, he got to be a cavalry member in like one of the battle scenes. Oh he's my like god! One of the scenes that was, and so he's like in one of the cavalry scenes. And that was like his that was his comp, his compensation. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So there was, and the, and his his biography biography of Alexander is the main that the main source material that Oliver Stone used. I haven't act- read that specific biography. I was mm-hmm. looking at my Simon Hornblower sort of <laughs> nice. history textbook. But yeah, like there was a historical consultant, but I, I think to the movie's detriment. Well, yeah, I feel like when you try to be so historically accurate that you are losing, uh, I guess, interest, losing characterization, losing personality, mm-hmm. It, yeah, just doing not lots of voiceovers, <laughs> all your like just cramming in a lot of names, yeah, and a lot of people who don't really seem to have larger personalities. And then, so every time there's a conspiracy, like when the there's a conspiracy theory with the Lotus, I think mm-hmm. you're like, I don't really know who this guy was in the background of you yeah. know, he's, so many he's, shots, he's, but he's an extra. Know. It would yeah. be like, yeah, it would be like if there was a great betrayal scene in gladiator from centurion number three or something like that (laughs) like it's just like yeah it's it's meaningless yeah or just like even in the beginning it's like uh when you like hear some of their names as children they Mm -hmm. like try to match them up to their grown-up person yeah Yeah. and just like i i'm this is exhausting like Mm -hmm. i don't not doing this (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i think is sad because so many of alexander's entourage and his generals had very strong personalities and were crazy Mm -hmm. characters like way after his death like antagonist with the one eye like died in battle when he was 80 or something Mm -hmm. like that and cassandra murdered his whole family (sighs) i don't know yeah there's oh yeah jonathan what's his name jonathan Jonathan reese myers (laughs) yeah Again, who in some scenes I like confused for Jared Leto. Right. Uh, they, <laughs> they all they look have the same. They have the same wig and they're both very pretty. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, th- I mean, there's a reason like Alexander's generals fought for the next like 50, 100, however, however many, many, very long time. Lots of crazy battles after the fact. This movie, on that note, this movie did win six Razzies, the Golden <laughs> Raspberry Awards for, excuse me, not win. It was nominated for six. Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Colin Farrell, Worst Actress, Angelina Jolie, and Worst Director, Oliver Stone, and Worst Supporting Actor for Val Kilmer, and Worst Screenplay. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Uh, in interviews, there's kind of funny interviews. Oliver Stone has gone on the record blaming sort of fundamentalism, moral fundamentalism for this movie's success. <laughs> he blames gay panic, which I think is kind of funny because this movie oh is God. not what I would, I would describe as a sort of giant win for LGBTQ no. communities. No, um, no, no. Not, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think this champions anything. Mm-mm. And Colin Farrell later kind of tried to put out the fire where he's just like, he's like kind of a mess. Like the whole thing's sort of a mess. I'm not sure how, Colin, like we, we talked about how Brad Pitt is kind of not a huge fan of his Achilles. I'm yeah. not sure. How, I don't think Colin Farrell's a huge fan of his Alexander, although I don't, I don't, I have a weaker sense of sort of his, his, his personality. Inclination. Yeah, exactly. His inclinations. <laughs> Maybe he, yes. maybe he stands by all of his decisions. I don't know. I have liked Colin Farrell in other roles. And so mm-hmm. I think I really just don't 
I don't know. I would never have cast him as Alexander. Yeah. It was, but... I, there was apparently at the same time, Baz Luhrmann was going to make a different Alexander film starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, I would watch but, that movie. <laughs> but then he, when, when it turned out Oliver Stone was making this, Baz sort of dropped the project. That would have been fun. I'm curious what a Leonardo DiCaprio Alexander would have been like. Do you think he would have been like as screamy? As Maybe. I think he was, because Leonardo can get screamy. Like, yeah. over Wall Street, he's, and then Revenant, he gets, like, eaten by a bear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like, he, he, he's got that. But I think also Leonardo DiCaprio, maybe this is giving him more credit than, but he seems like he would have the, the sort of wherewithal to be like, maybe that's, that's save the screamy for, like, a, mm-hmm. for the right time. Like, when to go yeah. into scream mode. Whereas well, I'm Colin thinking, Farrell, yeah, I'm and actually everyone in this movie is all screams mm-hmm. all the time. Like, Django Unchained, and Leonardo DiCaprio has like very quiet, crazy, like but yeah. still crazy moments where he's mm-hmm. like, it's yeah. on the down low, but he's scary. Yeah, um, I could see that being interesting because like he also sort of has simmering. Yeah, a, yeah, a simmering kind of intensity or, or madness mm-hmm. to him. Yeah, that that very or like in in Gangs of New York, where he, you know, which is largely a revenge plot, yeah. where he's kind of you know he's got that sort of seething rage just under the surface. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any other who, would, the, if you were to ca- like, ooh. right here, right now, Year of Our Lord, twenty twenty, you <laughs> cast to play Alexander the Great. I would almost. Oh man, this is so hard. I know. I got to think. I should have prepped this question because I actually had. No I know. Idea, so. I would definitely see a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio as Alexander. I don't think that would have been a bad choice. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of trying to think of somebody who's like. The things they gotta be more... young. They gotta be kind yeah. of yeah. Do you have to be I, young? I wonder. I have two thoughts because I'm thinking of young actors. They might be. They might not work. Okay. One, I'm gonna go with my. I think my weaker one first. One is okay. Timothy Chalamet, but it's just because <laughs> he's been in a lot of things recently and he's really good. But he has a kind of a sweetness to him that I'm not sure would yeah. necessarily translate. Well, Maybe I mean, he can go crazy. Did we'll you see, see the the King on Netflix? I did. That that like. Mm-hmm. That kind of works. I can sort yeah. of see that. He Actually, has- I have a third one now that speaking of actors who are recently in Vogue, my second thought I went to is mm-hmm. Nicholas Holt. Okay, yep. Who I think is just proven to be a very good actor and, and very um, versatile. Yeah, like he's I got the mad you know, he's got the madness. He's he was um Nux and Mad Mac, but he's also kind of a more of a toned down youthful. The third one that just came to me was oh my god, I just forgot. Oh no, I remember. I just saw the trailer for this for his next movie. Yeah, uh, I know what you're gonna say. I almost said Edward Cullen, but Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I keep calling him Edward Cullen. Right. <laughs> but I think Robert Pattinson could crush it. I I have also been su- surprised, pleasantly surprised, at how versatile Robert Pattinson can be. Um, the Lighthouse, which was a very strange movie, where he's very weird. Uh, but he was also in The King on Netflix as. Yeah. The oh French God, King. the French King. Yeah. Oh, which he sort of disappeared into. I thought he did a great job. And oh, I love I... His, his. I I love it and hate it, but his accent in that movie. This <laughs> he goes like full <laughs> heavy lip you. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's like what the hell like, you? He leans into it, and yeah, I oh, I bad. didn't hate it, and I truthfully don't hate the trailer for the new Batman. I'm like. <sighs> oh, I'm really excited. I'm actually really excited for it, and a yeah. way that I haven't been excited for a DC movie in a very long time. For um, sure. So I, I could like, see that. I see the trailer for the like the Snyder cut that's coming out, and I'm just like, mm. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I need. Uh, that's what we need. Another three hour pretentious movie. Um, no, no, we don't. Yeah. 
So uh, more, more broadly, casting aside, if you were to do this movie your own way, how would you do it? Mm, so I do think it's interesting that since this movie was made, there's a giant tomb in Amphipolis that was recently discovered. So that was 2014. So it was 10 years after this that has given us a lot more material to think about and work with. And it's very clear that the tomb, Philip, probably the tomb of Philip, um, at Vergina, yes, uh, Mm -hmm. like obviously influenced a lot of the costuming and the motifs and um, the frescoes on the walls and all of that stuff. And I think it would be really interesting to sort of have all of the stuff from Amphipolis and this tomb with these sphinx and these caryatids and it's such a cool tomb <laughs> that may yeah. or may not be Hephaestion. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Was uh, may or may not be Philip. Like we can never be sure. But that I think would be really cool to sort of have a lot of those elements in a new movie visually, which I think is interesting. And I do think that I would start with the assassination of Philip, because I think that's an interesting, like, catalyst to things are changing Mm -hmm. for Alexander. If it's a movie about him, it's when he is, like, pushed into sort of either flee the country or be king. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's interesting. And that would be a fun start. And I do think that I would lean into him being crazy, maybe. Because I think that would sort of drive people, drive the actions of other characters to do what we want them to do. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I have, like, thoughts are now rushing into my head. One is, like, if I were to truly have any way of it, I have complete creative control, I would sort of, again, kind of opt out and do, and I think this was less of a less of a thing people thought of in 2004 and more sort of now in the age of, like, in the post-Sopranos, post-Game of Thrones, post-Rome world is to lean more into like an extended long form TV show. Yeah, yeah, like a la something like Vikings or, or sure. Marco Polo. I mean, there's there's so many of them now. Yeah. There's a couple on, on ancient, actually there might be one on Alexander, I'm not even sure. So with a long form TV show, you could you could do all of the things that I think this movie tries to do and, and, and sort of give them their due time. But if I were to, if I were locked into a movie, say I'd like a, of a three hour runtime, I I, don't, I really love the Bucephalus story where he tames the horse, but See, um, I don't care. I don't care I don't, about yeah, that. Yeah, but like that's, that, <laughs> this seems like it's just in there for for its own sake. I think here here is my pitch. I would concentrate of all the relationships in the movie. I think I would concentrate on Alexander and Hephaestion. They for would sure. be a sort of they would be our narrative core. Like they grow up as boys. Philip gets assassinated. Alexander's in this sort of do or die moment. They go east, and we'd, we'd have to cover this all like pretty quick. And oh, granted, yeah. I think a good movie is going to be jumping around. There's like I would think the use of flashbacks might be important, but then sort of them also like the parallel, like like the constant motif would be his sort of parallel with Achilles and Patroclus, and him sort of yep. projecting that relationship onto Hephaestion, and then that manifests in all the other things he does, where he acts like a god and wants to be king and makes himself pharaoh and great king and all these other things that we follow and then and then like you said he kind of goes a little crazy but again we have to sort of build up to this and Hephaestion's sort of there as their relationship kind of falls apart and then Hephaestion dies and then he dies that would be my narrative core that would sort of be the through line through the movie and then you could work in as much of the other stuff as you wanted but that would be the, the sort of 
the backbone of it for me, I think. Um, I think that's like the most interesting way to sort of take characters that need a lot of screen time and we really want to have personalities and I they try to do the Achilles thing where he's like you know Achilles had all this glory but he died young Mm -hmm. Uh, they talk about Alexander having the Iliad under his bed or his pillow at night um, and that he like wants to be Achilles edited by Aristotle yeah right (laughs) Um, and that's like that's certainly really interesting if you know we're talking about the I don't know, trying to get in the head of Alexander. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? What are you yeah. thinking? And sort of that projecting I, I, on himself and Hephaestion, yeah. I think is really cool. Yeah, and I think it works sort of in, in two ways too, because when you have sort of Alexander taking myth and sort of trying to project it onto real life and making himself like a myth. And then you also have us, the modern audience and the, receptive, and the re- receptors later, and maybe you could have a Ptolemy framing device or something like that, but it's just like we kind of then reproject and, and the sort of the, the ins and outs of of achilles becoming alexander and alexander becoming achilles and vice versa and yeah we sort of we make alexander and achilles like bigger yeah that's kind of my yeah that'd be my pitch i think cool. um, i like it i would almost want to do because some of the older medieval um like retellings of alexander mm-hmm. make him do crazy things like go to the bottom of the ocean or, <laughs> and like you could have like a an, our alternate pitch is a la like Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter thing where yes. like Alexander the Great like super space agent where he's like actually yes. an alien or I love like it. dives to the bottom of the sea and he's like he's like Alexander is like the next Avengers or it's like just wacky weird like yeah. Alexander travels through time that'd be great I would love it because yeah he's such like a strangely half mythical figure it's like let's lean into that let's go crazy with it excellent. Okay, that's we've pretty much gone through all the notes that I have down. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts? This was boring, and I it didn't have to be. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and and then so we'll put it in the ground in the hopes of a a, a new better Alexander movie or long form TV show emerging That'd be great. one day. Yes, please. Okay. So in that case, yeah, let's sign off. So. Thank you again for listening to this Movies We Dig. And next week, we'll be coming back with yet another sort of movie on ancient history. Bye. Bye, guys.